Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, September 23rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the 40 Days for Life campaign gets underway in Jackson. Then Johnson & Johnson says a booster dose of its COVID vaccine is highly effective. Plus, Ole Miss faculty leadership reacts to the IHL board's decision to ban COVID vaccine mandates at state universities. And a conversation with writer M.O. Walsh. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The fall 40 Days for Life campaign began yesterday with fasting and prayer outside the Jackson Women's Health Organization in Fondren. The campaign serves as an opportunity for those who oppose abortion rights on religious grounds to demonstrate their objection to the practice. Desiree Fraser spoke with activists on the scene. Could you tell me your name and spell it for me? Clint, C-L-I-N-T, Herring, H-E-R-R-I-N-G. And where are you from? from I live in the Jackson area. Your sign said, ask me about free ultrasounds. Yeah, the, uh, my wife, now on that particular topic, free ultrasound, because I'm, I'm aware of it, but, I'm, but the message, hey, Terry, Terry. Tell me your name. Terry Herring. Okay. What do you do? I mean, who are you with? Uh, you know, I, I've done a lot of different things, but I'm in particular, I'm the president of Choose Life Mississippi, and we provide funding in part for uh, over 40 pregnancy resource centers in Mississippi. Um, not all of them, but many of them provide free ultrasounds. The one right across the street from the abortion clinic offers free ultrasound because we know that when a woman sees her unborn child, it changes lives, it changes hearts. And so we don't want any woman to make the mistake of her life and how a woman feels when she's facing the fears of an unplanned pregnancy is not how she will feel when the baby's placed in her arms. And so we want to be sure that we offer every opportunity for a woman to choose life. Why are you out here today? 
This organization, 40 Days for Life, has been around uh, since 2004. It began in Texas, but it has spread to over 600 cities across the nation. And the idea here is we want people to come to the abortion clinic, people who have never been here, so that they can feel the reality of desperate women coming into this pink building with black paper wrapped around it. It's a center uh, where death takes place. And I think that sometimes it's easy to close our eyes and shut our ears and shut our hearts off to the women that are suffering before and after an abortion. And so that's what we want people to do is to pray. On the opposite side of the issue is Dorenda Hancock. She works as an escort for the Jackson Women's Health Center. Essentially, her role is to accompany a patient as she walks from her car to the clinic door. 40 Days for Life here in Jackson is not nearly as big of a deal as it is in a lot of other cities. Um, we Right now, they have about 35 people down there for this kickoff. There are plenty of days during the week that we have 35 people with no kickoff. I mean, we constantly have anti-choice protesters out here. To me, this is nothing different than normal. And you've got music playing. Explain why. Generally, we use that music to block our protesters that have bullhorns and 1,200-watt speakers. And also, when, if you'll notice, even though they're not as loud and don't have speakers, they're yelling at our patients right now. They're telling our patients to go across the street to the crisis pregnancy center. They're telling them not to kill their baby. Our patients should not be subjected to that type of harassment, and we will do whatever it takes to drown that out. So tell us, how, how do you escort people? Do they park on the street and you walk them up if there's no room because the parking lot is kind of small. Right, our parking lot will hold 12 cars. Um, what we try to do is get anyone with a companion to move down the street so that women who come alone will be able to park in the lot, but when they don't they have to park a block away down on Oxford Street. You can't park on Fondren Place unless you own one of these houses. So, yeah, they're a block away. When we have enough volunteers out here, which isn't often, we will send someone down to walk up with them. But many times there are only three of us, and it takes that many of us to run the parking lot. The Jackson Women's Health Organization is slated to face an existential challenge in December of this year. That's when the Supreme Court will hear arguments on a case involving the state's 15-week abortion ban. Coming up, Johnson & Johnson say it's, or says its COVID-19 booster works. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Drug maker Johnson & Johnson says a booster dose of its COVID-19 vaccine is safe and highly effective. J&J's shot will queue up behind boosters from Pfizer and Moderna to await FDA authorization. Dr. Jerry Wyland is president of the Mississippi State Medical Association. She speaks with Kobe Vance. Well, first off, the Johnson & Johnson, when it first came out, if you looked at the data then, we knew that it did not have quite the efficacy, efficiency as the mRNA vaccines, which are your Pfizer and Moderna. They were 
having an efficacy efficiency of 95 plus percent, which is similar to all the other vaccines that we give out in childhood vaccinations all the time. We expect those kind of numbers because you have to have those kind of numbers as a good response or, you know, you never get to herd immunity because we do have good herd immunity in other childhood vaccines, but it's because there's good efficacy. And then states like Mississippi have very strong vaccination laws for, especially for school-aged children that make it where you have a lot of people immunized and they're immunized with a very efficient vaccine. So if we go back to the Johnson and Johnson, we know that initially the numbers were somewhere around 80%. And of course, 80% protection is better than none, but we know that especially with the Delta variant and other variations, you'd like to have your uh, efficacy way up there with the, comparable with the other vaccines, the mRNA vaccines, which are Pfizer and Moderna. We've seen a decline in coronavirus transmission here in Mississippi over the past few weeks. I'm certain it's probably a relief for many uh, doctors. What is the importance of having booster doses right now in making sure transmission stays in that decline? What we have to understand about coronavirus is that it is, if you looked, if you looked at the data initially, it was called a novel coronavirus. That's just fancy medicine for new, and new means we just don't know. So when they came out with the vaccines, they knew at the time it was good for X amount of time. Well, they continued to do studies, and they feel like, well, yes, you have good protection, but you could get better protection with another booster. And especially for people in high risk age groups over age 65 with underlying health issues or with problems with their immune system, they, they really should get the booster. How do boosters compare to things like the flu vaccine that everybody gets, that, that people get once a year? Flu vaccine is a different kind of animal. But what happens with the flu vaccine every year is that scientists, and this is why it's the efficacy of flu vaccine in adults is usually only about 50 to 60 percent. It's a little higher in children, 60, 70, maybe a little bit more than that. But what what your what your scientists have to do every year is try to figure out what strain is traveling around the world and what strain will come to us. And then they have to produce a vaccine and occasionally they miss. Sometimes they hit it right? Sometimes you get good coverage and sometimes you don't. But the reason that you get a flu vaccine every year is because the flu changes every year. The strain changes. It, it becomes, there's usually a couple of different strains that are traveling around the world and we have to adapt our vaccine to that. And that's why you have to get a flu vaccine every year. Currently, booster doses are restricted to those with uh, immunocompromised conditions or those age 65 years and older in Mississippi. But as we see the FDA approve boosters for more, more people, uh, do you think we're going to see an increased demand? And if so, do you think the state's prepared to take on that volume of patients looking to get their booster vaccine? Well, first off, yes, that's the official recommendation currently from the FDA uh, and CDC. However, Dr. Thomas Dobbs, our state health officer, has made it very clear to physicians in the state, if you feel that your patient is at risk, then you go ahead and give the booster dose. And also, I believe that healthcare workers are included in that, but we would be at high risk because we're on the front lines. I do think we'll, we'll be able to, to meet the need. I, I do. 
I believe that answers most of my questions. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell Mississippians when it comes to boosters or even like the the, the vaccines in general right now as as to where we are in you know the state's efforts against mitigating coronavirus transmission? I'd just like to say, please go get vaccinated. Try not to listen to the noise on either side. Look at what we have done with vaccines in Mississippi and in the United States over the years. I have said before that I think sometimes we have been too successful with our vaccines. Nobody remembers polio. It's been eliminated in the United States since 1979 because of vaccines. In childhood, in pediatrics, Nobody really has heard of Haemophilus influenza disease. It was a devastating disease that caused a lot of problems in children, including meningitis, pneumonia, epiglottitis, and it is not a problem in, in most of the United States and in Mississippi because of vaccinations. Hepatitis B, same thing. We just, we've had so many successes with vaccines that we forget that they work. Please go get vaccinated against coronavirus. It's just too sad to see that's losing Mississippians over this. Dr. Jerry Wyland is president of the Mississippi State Medical Association. Dr. Wyland, thank you for talking with us today. Oh, sure. My pleasure. Coming up, an Ole Miss faculty leader reacts to the IHL board's decision to ban COVID vaccine mandates at state universities. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's Institutions of Higher Learning Board decided last week to ban public universities in the state from mandating COVID-19 vaccines. The move came only a few weeks after the faculty senate at the University of Mississippi voted to implement a mandate on campus. Daniel Durkin is chair of the Ole Miss Faculty Senate. He speaks with Kobe Vance. Part of our argument was, of course, that, you know, COVID is a worldwide pandemic and it's it's spreading in Mississippi. The other things we mentioned where, you know, the university does require people, particularly students, to be vaccinated uh, against other communicable diseases. So requiring a vaccine for, for COVID was not out of the question on that. And that was uh, particularly after, you know, it was like shortly before we had our meeting that the announcement was made that the FDA gave full approval to uh, the Pfizer vaccine. We know that was one one argument. That, well, I won't call it argument. One concern that people had was that it wasn't uh, wasn't fully approved by the FDA. So uh, once that happened, that that enabled us to include that, you know, in our in our argument as to why we needed to move forward with this. You know, we we pointed out about you know the situation in Mississippi and and um, you know particularly our community responsibility when you have a healthcare system that is is very strained especially ICU beds being moved, that, you know, we felt we had a community's responsibility as well beyond the campus. We also put it forward as, as a way to continue what we've already started. So, you know, we have the mass mandate on campus and we're having face-to-face classes and everybody would like to keep it that way. It's been nice getting back on campus and doing things, but we felt like uh, in order to do it safely and move forward safely, uh, we would need a, a vaccine mandate to help, uh, you know, help make that better. So that was another main argument that, that we had. What was y'all's reaction to hearing that the IHL has moved to prevent schools from having any kind of mandates? Well, you know, obviously we're disappointed. You know, we would like to see the IHL make a, make a different decision than that. You know, especially when they, you know, there were two two members that are uh, physicians 
that were in favor of it. Um, the first meeting they had, the two physicians uh, voted differently from the colleagues. And then the last meeting, uh, one was uh, not present at the meeting, but the, the other uh, physician voted differently from the colleagues. So we were a little disappointed in that, but there'd also been some confusion, some conflicting statements out there about exactly who was responsible for making the decision in the state. So in one way, what the IHL did has been very helpful because they've, they've cleared that up. Uh, you know, they're the ones who've, who've made that decision. So that that's a way to um, to kind of look at how we can move forward possibly after this. In moving forward, what would you like to see? Well, I don't know what that's going to look like yet. You know, my job is, as the chair is is to, you know, do what the faculty senate wants. So, uh, you know, what I think is, is not necessarily um, going to be what the faculty senate ends up doing. We vote as a body and, and we support, you know, whatever resolutions we pass, you know, based on a majority vote. So um, I'm, I'm actually not sure right now what, what direction we're going to take. Um, you know, this just happened Friday. We have a, a meeting coming up next week of the executive committee. I'm sure that's going to come up when we have that meeting. And then, you know, there's likely to be something on the agenda for the, the next faculty senate meeting in October. But what that's going to look like, I don't know. I, you know, I haven't, uh, I've heard from some of my colleagues, but I, I you know, I'm sure I'm going to be hear, hearing more throughout the week. In the ones um, you have heard from, what have they been talking about? They're disappointed. I mean, that's what I've heard so far is disappointment. Daniel Durkin is Senate Chair of the Faculty Senators at the University of Mississippi. Daniel Durkin, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I, I appreciate you taking the time. Coming up, a conversation with writer M.O. Walsh. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. M.O. Walsh became an instant New York Times bestselling author with his debut novel, My Sunshine Away. His latest work of fiction is titled The Big Door Prize. It aims to blend Southern charm with science fiction. So it's set in a small town called Deerfield, Louisiana. It's a fictional town. And one day at the local grocery store that everybody sort of shops at, a machine shows up. It sort of looks like a photo booth. You know, those old photo booths, you sort of move the curtain and you walk in. And it looks like that, but this machine promises that it can analyze a person's DNA and tell them what their sort of body and mind are capable of doing, right? I mean, if everything would have worked out right, what their sort of genetic makeup is hardwired to do. Um, and so you go in there and you swab your cheek with a Q-tip, put it in, it analyzes it, and it spits out this little blue ticket that most often has just one word on it. Uh, and it can be anything from uh, something that's like an athletic thing, you know, maybe you'd be a really good Olympic skater or, or something, uh, or maybe you'd be a great whatever. But then Rodeo it starts, clown. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, uh, right. Then it starts spitting out things that are sort of surprising and unexpected and, and not always connected to the physical body. 
but sometimes connected to sort of societal positions, right? I mean, someone could get governor or something <laughs> or some sort of occupation. And what happens early on in the book is that people are getting some that actually makes some sense to them. And, and some of the people in town start trying these out. I mean, there's one character gets entrepreneur, right? And then goes and opens up a little snowball stand and it starts doing really well. And so the way small towns work, the gossip gets around and people get interested and curious in this machine. And so that's sort of how the book kicks off. And we have a our main couple that's been married for 15 years, very much in love with each other. And they both try this machine, but get sort of very different readouts that send them kind of emotionally in different directions. And so that's sort of the launching point of the book. But there's various other characters who are dealing with either the new vision of themselves they've gotten from this machine or their reluctance to try it and things like that. Is there anything for some of the people that comes out and they go, oh, I dreamed about this or when I was a kid, this is what I wanted to do? Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and so so much of it becomes sort of interpretive, right? I mean, it's, it's how do you want to interpret what this thing is telling you? Because sometimes it can be kind of vague. There's a character in the book who's already a very sort of accomplished uh, musician. And they get a readout that tells them they should be a magician instead of a musician. <laughs> and everyone thinks that's sort of crazy because they're already so well established. But the truth of the matter is, this is what this person always wanted to be growing up. And so when, whenever they get that, it sort of strikes a chord in their heart, you know, and sort of ignites this, this interest again. As this plays out, are we seeing a variety of reactions that some people go off and do it? Some people don't regret not doing it. Some people don't do it and have no problem not doing it. Yeah, I mean, you really you really sort of get a sense of the whole town acting in sort of strange new ways <laughs> as, they're, as they're trying different things out. One of the things I became really interested in is that almost everybody likes to think that there's something else out there. I mean, that's, that's sort of why we keep going, right? I mean, we always want the bigger house or the, or the new job or whatever, and we always feel like we're reaching for something else out there. And the more I was writing that type of scenario, the more I recognized how interesting the opposite side of that would be, which is some people have already reach their potential sort of by being who they are. And so in a weird way, I think if that person goes and gets a readout and basically tells them, no, look, you've already done it. Like it's, it's spitting out who they already are. In a weird way, that would be like more depressing. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, I mean, look forward to. Yeah, right. I mean, you would think that'd be a reason to celebrate because look, look what you've done with your life. You've maxed it out. You've done great. But in a weird way, yeah, that would I think that would really sort of sink some people. M.O., as people review your books, I see often they talk about your prose. And that stands out, how lovely your prose is. Is the prose more important in, or does it factor more into setting a mood or a scene or a character description or a plot point? Thank you for bringing that up. And I love anytime I see that, because I think that really is where my care is. And I mean, I think a long time ago, I recognized that I'm reading books for sentences. That's really sort of the motor that gets me through books, more, much more so than plot. And if I don't like the language, right, if I'm, not, if I'm not really entranced by the prose, I put it down without guilt. For me, when I sit down to work, I'm really just thinking sentence to sentence and trying to make them as clear as possible. That's the main thing is just trying to communicate clearly, trying to make a stranger see something in front of them that doesn't really exist just by using the alphabet. It's a, it's a strange phenomenon. But that's my goal. Anytime I hear that about the pros, that means a lot to me because that really is my focus. Would you say that Big Door Prize has a sense of wanderlust about it? I hope that it has lots of things going on. I mean, there's some mystery to the book, too, of some sort of subplots that hopefully keep people turning pages. But then I also hope that it's a book that a lot of people can see themselves in, especially right now when everything that's been going on and people sort of reevaluating their job. Or if they lost a job, well, what am I going to do now? 
should I take a chance and go for that thing I've sort of always wanted to do but been afraid of? I hope it speaks to people like that. I hope people see maybe if it's wanderlust, maybe tapping into their own. M.O. Walsh is the author of Big Door Prize. Thank you so much for being with us, M.O. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.